Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, we'll talk about click it or ticket, be safe on the roads. Coming up next weekend, we'll celebrate 150 years of mining heritage, and we have the men who have the details. Also, Election Day right around the corner. The Wilkes-Barre chapter in AACP has details of an upcoming event so you can be an informed voter. And on this Mother's Day weekend, we're starting off by introducing you to Diane Deese. She is the VITAS Vice President of Community Affairs. At some point, everyone will experience a loss, and especially on weekends such as this one, it can be difficult. But Diane says that they are here to help. I will tell you, Paula, that we're one of the things that we're doing at VITAS Healthcare, we're experts in grief, loss, and bereavement, and we have many resources. Uh, if they go to our site, vitas.com, um, they can see a section on grief, loss, and bereavement, where there are many things that they can do to, to uh, be supported during the time period. But we have something special focused for sons and daughters who are motherless and facing this week. Right. So due to the pandemic, uh, we know that many will be facing their first Mother's Day without their mothers, grandmothers and mother like figures. And and as you said, grief can be amplified because of that. Uh, But we don't want to let a pandemic or isolation, not being able to be with loved ones, keep sons and daughters from celebrating their mothers. So we have a special event uh, remembering our mothers celebrating them, and it's at vitas.com slash Mother's Day, where sons and daughters from around the country can register and join this event where we'll have uh, special speakers and um, musicians and heartfelt readings and inspirations to help them really celebrate their mom and not feel alone during this time period. That seems to be one of the biggest things that you hear from people is that it's one thing to lose a mom or to lose anyone, but you also, because of the pandemic, have lost the closeness the, throughout the entire bereavement process, even sometimes the process itself, such as a funeral. So when people are getting together like this, Diane, how can they help others who are sometimes, they really don't even want to think about it. 
Yes, it, it is a tough time, and that is the case, everything that you said. But the one thing that's important about this event is that everyone that's coming on, from the speakers, the most of them that are presenting or have a part of it, to the ones that are actually in attendance, we're all motherless sons and daughters. So we all have a common thread that is helping us be able to come together and not realize we're alone in this matter. And, and, and what we do at VTOS Healthcare is we address that. We support that. We acknowledge it, but we also support them through that. We have to tell you that we have information throughout the year that can help them to continue to be able to be supported during this process. VTOS has over 40 years of experience in grief, loss, and bereavement. We're the experts in it, and we spend much time in supporting anyone who has lost a loved one. But during this time period, special occasions like this week can amplify grief. It can, it, it can cause people to regrieve, even if they haven't just recently lost their mom. They can regrieve, and we look to and want to and would not let a pandemic keep us from supporting sons and daughters this year. And what would you say to someone who knows of someone who is in that position, yet that person might not feel comfortable stepping out of their comfort zone? And it's, you know, there are things such as support groups that are out there. There are other professionals that you can talk to, but there's, there's always those people that say, I don't want to share that with anyone. What would you say to a friend who's hearing that from someone that they know? As a friend, um, I would say support, offer to be with them during that time period, right? So if they came to the Missing Our Mothers event, ours is virtual this year, the friend could say, I'll join you. I'll come on. I'll be there with you. We make this a a very, um, it's a safe zone for folks, right? So we don't push anyone. Uh, They share if they want to share. If they don't share, they can just observe. But be there, support them, listen, and and don't push, but definitely be able to offer. You you can't be there maybe physically, but you can be there uh, supporting them by phone, uh, being present with them. If they'd like to do that, encourage them. We hear many that say, even up to the day of coming to the event, they're, they're back and forth. Should I go? Should I not go? That friend can be there supporting them, not just tell them about it, but that friend can take it one step further and join them and be at the event with them. If they go to vitas.com, that's V as in Victor, I-T-A-S dot com slash Mother's Day, take them right to the link. So they can always go to vitas.com. They can look for bereavement. And if they go for bereavement, uh, go to the bereavement section, there's a list of grief, support, and bereavement groups, different events, as well as information and resources that they can access that will be able to support them. They can even fill out information, and we can make a telephone call to them to support. There's, there's a variety of ways that VTOS offers support for anyone but the community at large to support them during any process. Mother's Day is this month. Father's Day is next month. We're there to have events and help people through 
this time period. Well, Diane, thank you for everything that you do. And I certainly hope that uh, many will take the opportunity to join in because it certainly knows and helps a lot to know that you're not alone. It does. And we're there for them at Vitas Healthcare. Thanks again to Diane Deese, Vitas Vice President of Community Affairs. Vitas.com is where you can find more information. More information coming up, and it is Election Day, primary Election Day on May 18th. A good thing to be an informed voter, and the Wilkes-Barre Chapter NAACP is here to help. Their Action Committee Chair Bill Brown has details on an upcoming event where you can ask questions. It's going to focus on the race for Luzerne County Judge and... One of the reasons it's very important is judges have a 10-year term. So the Action Committee is taking action. The Political Action Committee of the NAACP Wilkes-Barre branch. Exactly what is that? All NAACP branches have a Political Action Committee. And what we do is we work with legislation and policies um, in order to enact social justice. Um, We do it by um, use of voter registration drives, voter education, and we also um, host candidate forums like the one that's coming up like that on a local level so that um, we believe an educated um, voter is a really good voter. So that's kind of what we do. (laughs) All right. Well, let's not keep anybody wondering when is this event coming up and how can someone get involved? This event is going to be on May 11th at 7 p.m. Like that, we'll let you in about 10 minutes early. And um, if you go to the NAACP Facebook page, as well as the Peace and Justice Facebook page or the Black Lives Matter Facebook page, um, you'll see a registration link for the event. And once you register um, around or about the 9th or 10th, you will receive a link to the Zoom meeting. And um, you'll be able to log in and ask your questions and meet the candidates that are running um, for the judicial seats. One of the things, again, since it's going to be a Zoom format, correct? Yes. yes. Uh, Will people be able to ask questions as it's going on or do they have to give them in advance? No, no. They'll be able to ask questions just as it's going on, which we think is best because that's when you questions come to mind and they will be asking the questions via the chat the chat feature in zoom zoom has a feature where you could type in your questions and there'll be a moderator that will take those questions and ask those questions as many as we can fit in like that of the different candidates um and that's how the question um segment will work all right and what's your role in this I'm a timekeeper. I'm that person that gets to sit there with the stopwatch and make sure that those five um, people that are running to be judges, um, all those lawyers out there, stay within the the time constraints. We know they like to go off, and so I'm gonna. I'm. I I get to keep the gate. You know, you you you'll do what I say, or I'll shut you down. (laughs) Shut off your microphone. That's the. That's that's, the way it works. That's the way it works exactly. And now that we've just come off a big presidential election. Why do you think that something like this is important? Well, I believe and always have believed that the 
um, the local elections are as, if not more important than the presidential election. You know, the presidential election, everybody in the whole entire country was voting for that president. But your local election, that's your local election. And the local people that are running, it affects your day-to-day life. It affects um, how your money is spent on taxes. It affects um, it affects how you're going to be judged if you have to go into court for anything. It affects um, just your local day-to-day, day-to-day life, how your children are going to be educated because there are people running for the school board. And that's very, very, very important. And that's why we do this. Well, you mentioned the fact that judges are going to be on the on the panel for your for your upcoming meeting, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a big one. And when you talk about having a long term impact, these judges are going to sit now for ten years. Ten years. The votes you make now will affect you for the next ten years. So you may not think like I talk to a lot of 18 or 19 year olds and I say, um, you know, they're like, oh, why should I care about a judge? I said, because you're 18 now. I said, in 10 years, you'll be 28. Maybe that judge will be important to you because they're still going to be having they'll still have that job. They'll still be on that bench. And that's what's important. One of the other things, too, that a lot of people may not realize, and and maybe if you have a condensed way of explaining it, when we're talking about, especially in a primary, we're talking about people who are one party, but they're also allowed to run on the other ticket. It's called cross-filing. And that means that um, each candidate can run on both the Democratic and the Republican ticket. And it's up to you to choose two people. And it could be two Democrats. It could be two Republicans. It could be one of each. It doesn't matter. You're only allowed to choose two of them. But the, the candidates, can you can choose from either party like that. And that's something special that is just for those judges because of the um, impact that they have. And from what I remember, the NAACP has done different forums such as, well, of course, this one's different because it's a Zoom format, but you've done these kind of forums in the past. But the organization itself isn't doing any type of endorsements, correct? We do not endorse a candidate. Um, that's against our rules. Like that, we believe in educating, which means giving everybody a fair chance. Whether you're Republican, whether you're Democrat, whoever, whether you're independent, whoever you are, we give everybody a fair chance. We let them state their case, and um, we just make sure that everybody is treated fairly. We absolutely do not try to influence. In fact, I was doing a voter registration drive at churches, and um, somebody asked me, "Well, who was I voting for?" And I just would not answer that question like that because my my opinion doesn't matter it's up to the consumer who i call the voters to get educated and to make their own decisions who are you really hoping i know you mentioned earlier about the younger people who are you really hoping shows up and and takes part in this I'm hoping for everybody. I don't care if you're, I don't care if you're 18, 19, 20. I don't care if you're 80 or 90. This is information and these are questions that can be, that you have the right to ask of your candidates. And um, I hope everybody shows up. Heck, I hope a few high school kids that are just trying to get a gist for politics like I was when I was in high school, I really was interested in politics because of my parents. 
And um, it's always fascinated me, and I love it. And I'm hoping that everybody takes part and has an open discussion. Don't just sit and watch and listen and take in information. Have a discussion. Talk with your parents. Talk with your grandparents. You know, like make sure that they get to the polls and vote because that's what's important. Education and remember, it's your vote is your voice, and it's important. I'm going to give you the floor then, Bill, and you can go ahead and once again tell our listeners how they can get signed up in order to participate, when it's going to be, and what the format is going to be. Okie dokie. Um, if you go to Facebook, and I'm pretty much everybody's on Facebook, if you go to Facebook and you um, go to the NAACP, Wilkes-Barre branch of the Facebook page, you will see um, several articles posted on our newsline um, that give you a link to a registration form. Once you complete that registration form, I, it doesn't go any place past me. I'm the person who's in charge of it. I uh, will take this and I will send you a link to get you into our Zoom into our Zoom conference on May 11th at approximately 7 p.m. Like that, it starts right at 7 p.m. But we'll let you in a little bit early, and that's pretty much how you sign up. And we're hoping to have a really good turnout. The more the merrier. Like that, and don't be afraid to ask those questions. There's no such thing is a stupid question you will not be live so you don't have to worry about messing it up just type it into the chat and our moderators will um, ask those questions for you and like i said we're going to try to get to every single question if we can and once again the focus of this particular forum is the focus of this forum is the judicial candidates. Those are the five people that are running to um, be seated as judge for the next 10 years in Luzerne County. Thanks again to Bill Brown, the chair of the Wilkes-Barre Chapter NAACP Action Committee. Don't forget, you should get in your information if you would like to take part in that Zoom event. It's coming up on Tuesday, May 11th, and the primary election will be one week from then on Tuesday, May 18th. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit the Facebook page of the Wilkes-Barre Chapter NAACP or their website. Now, don't go away. When we come back, John and Mike are here, and they're going to tell us about mining heritage, big in our area, and a big event coming up next weekend on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. Next weekend on Public Square in Wilkesbury, the Fine Arts Fiesta will be taking place. And on Sunday, in one corner of the square, John Voigt, Mike Korb, and other members of the Penn Anthracite Section SME will be there to celebrate 150 years of mining heritage. Anyone who's grown up in northeastern Pennsylvania or has spent any amount of time here knows that mining got a lot of its start right here in the Northeast. John Voigt and Mike Korb, both with the Pentanthracite Section SME, are here to tell us not only about the mining heritage, but how mining is still being done today and how important it is to our future. John, welcome. And we also have Mike Korb joining us as well. But I'm going to start off with you because, as I said to you before we started, I have never 
heard anything about the American Institute of Mining Engineers. And now you have a very special event that we're going to be telling people about coming up on Sunday, May 16th in downtown Wilkesbury. But first, tell us about the Institute. And I, and I guess there are, there's two different, there's a, there's an AIME and an SME. Am I right? That's correct. We're representatives through the, the Society of Mining Engineers, the Penn Anthracite section that covers eastern half of Pennsylvania, much of New Jersey and Delaware. The Society of Mining Engineers is one of four sections of the AIME, which is American Institute of Mining, Metallurgical and Petroleum Engineers. But it was mainly uh, started for mining, metallurgy, and petroleum engineering. And those are those were section different societies. There are portions of that. And uh, Mike has been our section's representative for the 150th anniversary planning uh, committee, events committee of AIME's founding in Wilkes-Barre 150 years ago. This is something, though, that is not just... Wilkes-Barre based, correct? That's correct. It was Wilkes-Barre founded. But our section of Society of Mining Engineers, I believe, is the only very active uh, section of AIME in Anthracite area in Pennsylvania. And obviously, we are a very big Anthracite area. So is that one of the reasons why it may have been founded here? That's precisely the reason, Paula. 150 years ago, the anthracite region in Pennsylvania, Luzerne and Lackawanna counties and, and down in Carbon County uh, and some others uh, in between, they were really an industrial might of powered the industrial revolution in the United States. Anthracite coal was, was one of the driving energy sources of, of the time, and it was a critical uh, need for, for a growing country. Uh, the rail systems had had a lot of starts in this area, the uh, iron and steel also uh, down in the Bethlehem area and, and in, in the valleys here. Uh, it was a very large and important part of the U.S. economy back in those days. And AIME was founded by many local uh, people that wanted to both improve the business methods of the time in mining, uh, metallurgy, and petroleum use but also to improve the, uh, the safety uh, situations in, in the mines, especially where, where too, many were peop- too many of the miners were losing their lives and they felt like they could do more and, and improve uh, the industry in, in many ways. And there are still some operating mines today, aren't there? Uh, that's correct. There aren't as many anthracite mines uh, running as, as there were back in 100, 150 years ago. The tonnages of anthracite that they mined were staggering back in those days. And now it's, it's a small uh, business compared to other coal operations, bituminous coal from, say, the western part of the state, West Virginia, Ohio, and especially out west. And some people still use coal today as part of their heating in their home. So it's still out there. And now that you have uh, given us a little bit of the background of the actual organizations, you're going to give us a little bit of the background of the man who is going to be talking about all of this as far as coming up on the 16th. And that's Mike Korb. So go ahead, John, you tell us a little bit about Mike. He's been active in Society of Mining Engineers for over 50 years. He's uh, a member of the SME's Legion of Honor, and he's won other 
other awards. Uh, he's been a critical key to the continuing work that SME has done in this area, and, and he's basically the Panathrocyte section unofficial historian. He does a lot of the historical work as a hobby. He has a lot of local contacts and contacts with both SME and AIME organizations. He's the one that's really done the legwork for the behind-the-scenes planning and emphasis on history and commemoration of events like this 150th anniversary of AIME right here in Wilkes-Barre. Mike Korb, were you at any point in time a minor? Oh, yes, I I graduated from college uh, almost 60 years ago, and uh, I was uh, a bit of mining engineer all the time. I worked in uh, a lot of different mining industries, as John has also. And I worked uh, in anthracite. I worked in bituminous. I've worked in a lot of different different places in the country and in the world uh, in mining industry. The AIME, the American Institute of Mining Engineers, has over almost 200,000 members around the world. So this all came about May 16th, 1871? That's right. In early 1871, three mining engineers, Eckley Cox, Richard Rothwell, and Martin uh, Coriel, who all lived in the, in the Wilkes-Barre area. Cox actually lived in, in Drifton. The, the town of Eckley is, is named after Eckley Cox. The three of them uh, issued a call to uh, a group of mining engineers that were uh, here in uh, northeastern Pennsylvania, but also across the country, and said that the society ought to be founded for do the things that John mentioned improve the efficiency of the industry and also to improve the safety of the industry. Two years before, there had been the big disaster here in at Avondale had taken place, and that, that's probably one of the emphasis for, for starting it. They had a meeting. A, a number of people responded, contacted some other influential people to ask them to get people to come. In May, they had a three-day meeting, 16th, 17th, and 18th of May, 1871, to, to found the organization. And first day, there were 23 members there, and at the end of the, of the meeting, they had, had uh, about 70 people that had, had come to the three-day meeting. And they weren't all from just around here. They were also some neighboring states came along as well. That's correct. There was about about 45 of the of the 70 people were from northeastern Pennsylvania. But there were also people from western Pennsylvania, Missouri, New York, from Michigan. Wilkes-Barre was actually a good location at that time. It was close to New York City. It was close to Washington, D.C. It was, it was close to western Pennsylvania. And so that the, the world pretty much had said it in 1871 was much, the United States was much more eastern bound than it is today. These fellows didn't jump in their vehicle and drive up Interstate 80 oh, or 380. In fact, the people that came from Michigan probably had to spend about uh, three weeks getting here. Now that this has begun and it continues, and this is going to be the 150th anniversary. That's correct. But why is it important to continue to honor and remember and tell everybody about What's going on after 150 years? It just is not past. It's, it's certainly it's certainly future. This, the, the mining industry is, is uh, still very important to the country. If if something isn't grown, it has to be mined. There's nothing that we we use in our in our everyday life that isn't either grown or mined. The industry has to continue to do the same things that we we were founded for in the first place. Keep people the people are working here safe and continue to keep keep the industry more and more efficient. Do a better job of, of doing our our jobs. Metallurgical? Was I right? 
And petroleum engineers, yes. And and what exactly is metallurgical? Metallurgy is, is changing uh, ores to metals and also then changing metals uh, from one form to another. Uh, if you make iron and, and convert it to steel, that's metallurgy. It's conversion of, of rocks to, to metals. It's conversion of coal and, and rock, cleaning the coal and getting the rock out of the coal. And where does the petroleum come in then? Being mining engineers, we always considered petroleum wells as, as mines. They don't like that so much, the guys that work in, in the petroleum industry. Right now, the the petroleum industry is, is much larger than, than the mining industry as far as our, our members. We have a lot more petroleum engineers as members than we do as mining engineers. You're mentioning so many things that are still viable, and I think that there's just a perception that mining is gone away, but it certainly is not. It certainly is not. I mean, I'm going to talk about using renewables. The things that, that make renewables renewable are all mine thing. You know, the uh, windmills uh, have a lot of steel in them. They've got a lot of petroleum in them. They've got any plastic, any fiberglass, that type of thing is all all comes from, from mining or, or petroleum. We can't make something without having something mined. Paul, if I can jump in there and sure. add, I think we really can't understate the importance of the mining industry because of the, the materials that we need for everyday things. Uh, we wouldn't have electricity in our homes. We wouldn't have cars. Things as simple as window glass, the copper that it takes to handle whatever type of energy we will use 50 years in the future. All these different minerals and, and metals have to be mined and processed. So the metallurgical part comes in to create all these different types of high-tech alloys that they're wear-resistant, heat-resistant. The metallurgical business is what has its roots sort of in the Bethlehem area with Bethlehem steel. Petroleum art, look at the Marcella shale and the fracking of natural gas uh, shale reserves that, that have turned the United States into a big importer of fuels into a net exporter. They made the United States energy independent. The petroleum engineers, are the, they're the guys that figured out how to drill down a mile and then turn the well and drill horizontally for a couple of miles and then inject fracking fluid with, with specially designed sands and materials that you pump in the ground. The little sands go in there, hold a fracture open so the gas under pressure can get out through the well. It's unbelievable. And this is some really high-tech stuff that these different industries are working in. And and, uh, our future depends on the continued success of of different technologies like that. Probably the biggest, one of the biggest reasons to continue with everything that you have been talking about and the event that is coming up to highlight all of those things so that people don't forget where they came from. That's exactly right. And, And a lot of us have ancestors who, who worked in the early days of the anthracite uh, mining here. And, uh, and at that time, it was it was a dangerous, uh, very difficult job. You know, mining's changed a lot over time, thank goodness. And part of that is through the efforts of both uh, regulators uh, like the Mine Safety and Health Administration. And before that, it was the Bureau of Mines. And, and all the while, we've had expert mining engineers that have developed safer methods of working and measuring what the ground is doing and so they can design safe, safe operations that are they're efficient and still get the job done. Yeah, there was one, one more thing that I was going to mention, and, and this is for your younger listeners. Kids that are coming up through middle school and high school, they're trying to figure out what sort of work they might do, want to do for the rest of their lives. And the STEM curriculum that prepares students for technical jobs 
such as uh, they find in mining, petroleum, and metallurgy. There are some really great careers available to, to some of the younger folks. A lot of the universities are, are looking for good students in these areas. They're basically guaranteed to get good jobs. They're, they're having people transfer in from other curriculums into some of these things like material science, mining engineering, petroleum engineering, geophysics, metallurgy. It's something that, that is not going to go away. The parts of the, the rockets and, and uh, high-tech defense systems and stuff, they're, they're using different sorts of high-tech metals and uh, rare earth elements that, that all have to be uh, used to process some of the things that uh, those industries need. And the clean energy business is also going to require materials like that, like lithium. The projections are for the amount of lithium that's got to be mined and utilized for car batteries, for example. We don't have enough lithium mines and reserves to, to even make a dent in that at the, some of the projections that are being made. We don't have enough mined materials available for some of these clean energy projections that are being made. It's unbelievable. Do you also have scholarships available through your organization? We, we, we give scholarships. Our uh, local section gives scholarships, but also the uh, SME and the AIME both all give scholarships. And uh, we send notices to the press every year, we try to do it through the schools and also on our, our Facebook page and, and, and web page. For many of those curriculums, Paula, that there are private companies like mining companies, uh, steel companies, and oil and gas companies as well that offer scholarships to students in those different types of majors. And uh, they also offer students summer or uh, part-time jobs that, that help them pay their way through school, basically. They're really well-paying interesting jobs, challenging and, and uh, very rewarding. Well, let's bring Mike back in because Mike is, is the host for the upcoming event on May 16th. So, Mike, when and where is this happening that the public can attend? You probably don't know this either, Paula, that, that there, is a, there is a plaque on Public Square in Wilkesbury that has been there for 25 years. It's on the, the little uh, building that's right across from Old Pomeroy's building, the where the chamber is now. Marble Blockhouse on the yep. west side and of Public Square. That, that's correct. Is there one on River Street? There is. There Five years ago, we got a uh, PHMC, a, a Pennsylvania Historical and Museum Commission uh, marker on uh, River Street, right where the uh, where the founding took place. At the Wyoming Valley, Valley Hotel. Was uh, where the guard, the old guard building now. Anybody who's walking around in downtown Wilkesbury, you go find that American Institute of Mining <laughs> Engineers on uh, River Street, and find the other one on Public Square because they're. Well, there's, they're a, there, there's a third. There's a third. Oh, there's a third. There's one from a hundred from the hundredth anniversary. That one hard to see, but easy to find. It's it's in the in the foyer foyer of the Luzerne County Museum Historical Society. It's right as you as you come in. It's up on the wall. But there's a coat rack that is in front of it. John, can't you get that moved? Mike, Mike is working on that also. Mike's working on that also. <laughs> That's one of the 20 balls that he's juggling at the moment. Yeah, we're going to be adding a, a, a small plaque where the plaque on the, on Public Square is on, on the 16th. It's going to be unveiled. And that will commemorate the 150th. Uh, we're going to have uh, a number of people that are going to be speaking uh, from the Historical Society from uh, the city and from SME and AME are going to just have short, short speaks 
may take a half an hour. It's a lot less than what we would have done in normal times. Right. But we think that that's very proper for, for what we're doing right now. It's, it's, it's something that we feel it can be done responsibly. And, and so there, there should be a lot of people there and, and, and they'll say, what the heck's going on over there? Maybe. <laughs> from but, the, the fine arts fiesta. And John, from what I understand, you also have, because Mike didn't just keep this to himself, you have folks coming <laughs> in from, from other parts of Pennsylvania and maybe some other states as well. We have uh, some dignitaries coming from both AIME and SME. They're both headquartered in the Denver area. I think we have the one of the past chairs of the Washington, D.C. SME section is going to be there. That's right. That's right. We have people coming from uh, the western Pennsylvania or the Pittsburgh section of Society of Mining Engineers. And there are quite a few of these folks, both local and past presidents of both of those organizations. Yeah, what AIME president is coming from Georgia. Uh, the SMA president's coming from Maryland. Again, because of the situation with COVID, we're going to feed him. you're going to be able to sit down and at least talk with everybody. Is there anything in particular uh, with this upcoming event that you would like to mention, re-mention, whatever, or maybe we haven't mentioned already? Very important people to the mining industry that lived in northeastern Pennsylvania. Many of those people were, were at that first meeting. People from Hazleton, people from St. Clair, people from Pottsville, from Scranton, from Carbondale. People that were involved in every part of anthracite industry, certainly, and many parts of the other uh, mining industries at that time were there. Like I said, they're probably people that, that are not household names for the most part. Eckley Cox is probably the most well-known one here in northeastern Pennsylvania. A couple of them are in a, in a mining hall of fame, and a lot more ought to be. I think that as a historical event, this is, is big time. Uh, our organization had meetings here in northeastern Pennsylvania Probably two dozen over the 150 years have their main meeting has been here in northeastern Pennsylvania. So certainly the mining industry here isn't as much as it had been at one time, but it's still very important. It's still still very vital. We're proud of what we've done and what the organization has done, and we want to tell people about it. And that you also have a website and a Facebook page. We do have. The Facebook page is easy, Pennanthracite, S-M-E. P-E-N-N-A-N-T-H-R-A-C-I-T-E-S-M-E dot org. Yes, that's right. Somebody who sent me this news release was oh, awesome. That would be me. <laughs> that would be me. Yeah, Mike has them covered. Paul, let me add just one real sure. quick note. Turn the calendar back to 1871 for probably the next 30 years, maybe maybe more beyond that. This area was the center of the mining industry in North America. There was a publication that was published first down in the Pottsville area and then in, then from Scranton uh, by the founder of the International Correspondence Schools. The one brother was a publisher of mining journal that was turned into a magazine that still, still exists. I think it's Engineering Mining Journal's original start. So they covered Everything from like the gold rush in the Western United States to all types of mining all over North America and around the world. So this this was the center of the mining industry, the heart of the mining industry in, in North America back 150 years ago. Now is the time that we need to start to look back and remember all this because, again, we learn from what we've already done. Right. And we need to be able to face the challenges of uh, the environmental pressures that, that we face and 
uh, going to cleaner energy and, and using that wisely and very wise use of our natural resources, which SME and AIME has always been involved in. Now, don't go away. Traveling safely, it's Click It or Ticket time on Special Edition. Rebecca Ryback, Highway Safety Education Coordinator, Northeast Highway Safety Program, is here on Special Edition. Oh, boy. Click It or Ticket's happening. Can you give us those details? Every May, we have a national Click It or Ticket enforcement mobilization, and that happens in Pennsylvania. What it is is that it's just a reminder for everybody to uh, wear their seatbelt. And if they don't wear their seatbelt, they're going to get a ticket, which is where the click it or ticket comes from. In Pennsylvania, we do have a secondary law when it comes to a seatbelt use if you are 18 and older. So what that means is if you are 18 and older, you cannot be pulled over um, for just not wearing your seatbelt. You have to have a primary violation, like if you go through a stop sign, if you uh, go through a red light, if you're speeding, you get pulled over, you could get a ticket for that violation. And then if you're not wearing your seatbelt, you could get a ticket for that. However, if you are 18 years and younger, it is a primary violation. So you could get pulled over if the officer believes that you are younger, uh, 18 and younger, and um, you could get a ticket just for not wearing your seatbelt. So um, those are the two laws um, in Pennsylvania as far as when we talk about the click it or ticket. We also want to remind everybody that the driver is responsible for everyone in their vehicle to be buckled up. That includes children and adults. So if you're driving and you get pulled over and you have maybe a child not in a correct car seat, you have somebody not in a seatbelt, you could be fined for everybody in that car not wearing a seatbelt. So it could get pretty expensive. Now, what happens if that happens? Does that mean that the person in the car who is in the violation also get a ticket as well besides the driver? No, it would just be the driver. Oh. Yeah. So the driver is responsible for everybody in their vehicle. Yeah. And it's their car. So if somebody's giving you a ride someplace and doing you a favor, you don't want to repay them that way. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> now, now, Rebecca, one of the other things that we're uh, also talking about while we're talking about safety, and you already mentioned this, are car seats. First of all, give us a very good overview of what we need to know about who needs to be in what car seat. From birth to two years old, a child should be rear-facing in a infant or a convertible car seat. That is a newer law within the last two years. However, we suggest that a child should stay rear-facing in a car seat for as long as the car seat manufacturer says. So you want to read the directions always to the car seat and read the directions to the vehicle seat. Once they grow out of that rear-facing car seat, you want to put them in a forward-facing car seat. And they will be in that forward-facing car seat probably till about four or five years old Again, follow the instructions of the car seat manual. After um, they are in a forward-facing car seat, they're not done yet. You want to move up to a booster seat because we have to remind everybody that seatbelts were made for adults. They weren't made for children. So a booster seat is at that at good old age, like my son, where they don't want to be in the baby seat. But you have to explain to them that the seatbelt does not fit them correctly yet because they're too small. So a booster seat is just what it says. It boosts you up. So the seatbelt fits you correct. So you are using the regular seatbelt with a booster seat and um, it'll boost you up. So the seatbelt will go across your shoulder, your chest and your hips like it's supposed to. 
Then when, after they grow out of a booster seat, they will be in a regular vehicle seat with the seatbelt. Usually that could be 10, 11, even 12 years old. It really depends on your child, their height, their weight, and again, go back to the car seat manual. We also suggest that children sit in the back seat until they're at least 13 years of age. And that's because? There's a lot of stuff in the front seat that can hurt them. The airbag, the windshield, steering wheel. Uh, we want to make sure that they stay in the back seat where they're more protective. However, we do know there's situations that um, children may have to sit in the front seat, especially if you have three or four children. So you obviously want to put the oldest in the front seat. You want to make sure that you um, push their seat all the way back from the dashboard. And now a lot of the newer cars, you can shut the airbag off. And, you know, I happen to run across that even with pets, because mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of time, well, I didn't even realize it, that if you put your pet in the front seat and the airbag comes out, that could be a problem as well. So we take these things for granted. Yes, exactly. Now, right. I want to hear you go back and tell your son who doesn't <laughs> want to be in that. I want to hear Rebecca's version. <laughs> and especially with the maturity of children, too, because, you know, you may have an eight, nine, ten year old. I, I could look back uh, in my mirror and look back on my nine year old and he scrouched down in his seat and the seatbelt's cutting across his neck because he's, you know, watching his iPad or whatever. So you have to think maturity, too. Like if you think your child could still fit in a five point harness is not ready for a booster seat, as long as they fit within that age requirement, height of the uh, car seat, you could keep them in that forward facing car seat. Speaking of car seats and click it or ticket, we do have uh, Memorial Day coming up at the end of the month. And so do have some car seat checks coming up. Great. We will be doing um, a car seat check on uh, May 27th. That's a Thursday. We will be having it in conjunction with the Pennsylvania State Police. And that will be up in the old Sears at the Wyoming Valley Mall, which is the Ken Pollock, one of their uh, centers there. And then we also have uh, the week of May 16th is actually National EMS Week. There will be several car seat checks going on a conjunction with a few other counties. So this will be Wednesday, May 19th, and more information to come. And we will have one in Luzerne County, Wayne County, Pike County, Susquehanna County. So it's a coordinated effort of a different agencies having a car seat check on the same day. So for anybody who's interested in knowing the times and places of these events, you could check out the Highway Safety Facebook page. So if you go on Facebook, just look up Northeast Highway Safety Program and everything will be on there. And you put it on there and we'll share it on our Facebook pages. How does that sound? Right. Sounds good. Okay. Rebecca, and now you're mentioning these car seat checks. Are these in person? Yes. Yes, they are in person. Uh, We will, you know, have our masks and practice all the CDC requirements. But yes, they are in person. That's exciting. Yeah, we've had we've had a few um, in person and it's been great. We've had no problems, complaints. Um, You know, the, the parents and grandparents who come have been very, you know, good at wearing their mask and we wear our mask. Again, you can have your children with you. You don't have to have your child with you when we do these car seat checks. So that's another thing because most likely yeah, they might be in school. Yeah, they are in person. It's great to start getting back to normal finally. (laughs) That is, that's very exciting. And one of the things we should also mention too is it doesn't have to be a car seat that's already installed, correct? We like for them to at least try to put it in. 
Um, we have had situations where people have gone right to the store and come with a box. The only reason is because we are there to teach you how to do it because after you leave, you're going to have to do it yourself. Um, if you're moving, you know, if you get a new car or if you're going on vacation, you have to move your car seat. You're going to have to know how to do it. So even if you do come with the box, we may tell you, please put it in first. Let me watch you put it in. And then we will see what we could fix for you and help you. So your child could leave safer, you know, before they came. So um, they could come right from the store, but we may ask you to open it up and put it in yourself and, to, and then check it. And that's a good idea as well. And we're going to have to have you come back again because we have so many other things to talk about. We're going to talk about um, bike helmets. Uh, one of the things I just like you to mention is when people are talking about, again, now maybe returning to the road, you go to a different state and sometimes the laws may be different. Is that a possibility? Yes. I mean, a perfect example is we are surrounded by states who have a primary law with seatbelts. We're still with the secondary. Um, we, we are surrounded by states that have um, a hands-free law, no, no phones in your hand. We do not yet. And car seat laws could be different. So, yeah, so you, especially when you're getting ready for summer vacation, you want to make sure that, you know, you, you read up on the laws, on the car seat laws, on the seatbelt, and any kind of laws um, in, the, in the states that you will be traveling so, so you know what to do. And we, we've talked about this um, for the last couple months that, you know, even though we were in a pandemic, we still saw an uptick with crashes and especially uh, DUI crashes. So um, people are still traveling. Unfortunately, safety and the law, you know, don't get a break during a pandemic. So, you know, and as everybody's traveling, they probably are seeing more school buses on the road, more, you know, so uh, you want to make sure that, you know, you give yourself enough time to travel, you plan your day ahead, you want to make sure you watch the weather and just, you know, take a deep breath and take your time because for those who have been cooped up in the house and all of a sudden they're out and about, you know, they can become a little bit aggravated. So we just want to make sure that plan ahead and, you know, take your time. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. 